And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper, Britt Giroli, Eno Saris here with you on this Friday. At least this podcast is for Friday, even if you're listening to it late on Thursday night. On this episode, we're going to discuss the things that are currently bringing us joy in baseball, because those things still exist, and we will talk about them, even though there are things <laughs> that bring us anger and frustration and sadness. Even we are curmudgeons. We will bring joy. We will talk about the things that make us happy because there are things that make us happy, even though there are times when people say, do you guys even like this? And it's like, well, of course, we, we love this. That, that, that's why we get so angry about the things that are bothering us. So we're going to dig into all the things that bring us joy. We'll talk about the Field of Dreams game and some of the related stories to that. So lots of ground to cover on this episode. And good to have the whole gang back together again since everything was a mess with me moving and being gone last week and the trade deadline. We've had a chance to actually take in a couple of weeks of games since teams made moves and we're we're getting some stratification, I think is the correct word, in the standings. There aren't as many battles division to division as we would expect. There are, I would say, three, four, maybe four. Four that are still actually up for grabs. Both of the East still up for grabs, both of the West. But the Centrals are pretty close to decided at this point with the leads that the White Sox and Brewers currently hold over Cleveland and Cincinnati, respectively. So... It's an open-ended question to start today. As you look around the league, you got a whole wide-open canvas of everything going on in baseball right now, Britt, and you can look at any level. It doesn't have to be the big league level. What brings you joy right now? Oh, boy. Um, so many things. The Field of Dreams game brings me joy, though I think that movie is highly overrated. I think it's fun, and it's fun that we're going to have big league players playing among cornfields. Uh, Fernando Tatis not being out for the season – if he does, in fact, come back and they do put him in the outfield, that brings me joy. The fact that we are almost in September, which is when it really gets to be exciting. To me, that's almost when the pre-playoffs start, right? Every game becomes a must-watch for a lot of these races. So, you know, I, I appreciate the people on iTunes who leave us reviews like, does Brittany even like baseball? Uh, but I do. I do like baseball. I do enjoy Watching baseball. In your defense, I mean, like some of the some of the work of journalism is to like delve into these topics that nobody really wants to delve into. I mean, right? Like you gotta like you're you're fielding calls about a certain situation in LA that's just you know it's not fun, you know, right? Like yeah. it's not it doesn't that's not great, you know. And so we have to we've had to write about injuries uh with the ball and and per perhaps mismanagement by the league and stuff so like i mean the part of our job is to kind of poke at those things and and figure them out but you're right i mean 
it's uh it's it is going to be a great time and um i i think i i have a fun story coming up on on uh, next week uh about fan interaction that should be fun i uh, i got a lot of joy out of it actually talking to players about talking to fans in the outfield so uh, i hope there's enough little nuggets in there that people will laugh uh it's not my typical story but I'm also out here uh, watching these geriatric giants uh, every day, uh, and they bring me joy because I am old myself, uh, and so I enjoy uh, seeing Posey go uh, hit tanks to dead center. Uh, uh, he looks rejuvenated. Uh, Brandon Crawford having like the, one of the best seasons of his life, and Brandon Belt is swinging it well, too. I mean, this is... What year is this? Um, so I, I, I kind of like that... Like to to stop the juggernaut Dodgers, it's gonna take like the 2010 Giants core, you know? Like what? <laughs> yeah, um, not the script that any of us would have wrote back in the spring. Yeah, and well, and then there's always um, like when you're when you're kind of covering baseball from a national standpoint, it's not it's not easy uh, to have like unfiltered joy because there's always j- sadness with joy, like when you're covering from the top. And here's my explanation. The NL East. <laughs> like, uh, there's going to be sadness for two teams. Like, it's. I think it's only going to produce one team for the playoffs. Um, and, you know, there's always, like, the LOL Mets crew that, you know, I used to write for Amazing Avenue. I lived in New York for 10 years. Like, I've been a Mets fan. And so I, I feel that, like, sense of impending doom that, like, a lot of uh, Mets fans might feel right now. Uh, but they're the best team on paper, and then you've got the the basically a three way tie right now with the Phillies and Braves. That's super exciting. So from like a sort of baseball national level, that's super fun. Within it, though, there's there's going to be some sadness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot hinges on Jacob Degrom as pertains to the Mets, probably more than you would think for just one pitcher. And I think it's the potential for things to snowball. It is the potential for the the LOL Mets mindset to creep back in, right? If you get bad news on DeGrom, it's not just the fan base. It's it's players that have been around this organization. I know they've had a lot of turnover, but it's still sort of the, oh, here we go again. Like This this could have been our year. This looked like it was going to be our year. We were spending money. We brought in a lot New of talent. Owner. We made the trade for Lindor. We made trades at the deadline to add Javier Baez. Like, we're doing all the things we possibly can to win right now and now we're going to be fighting to the very last day of the season to make the playoffs. I mean, I do agree with what you said. You know, I think the Mets are the best team on paper of the three teams still in the mix in the NL East. Do you agree with that assessment, Britt? Or do you actually see more? It's not in Philly. I know it's not Philly. I can pre-rank Britt's all, three no, teams in the all, NL East with Philly at the bottom. All of our talking, Philly's going to win it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But if, if I were ranking... And just through through the lens that Britt is ranking them, I know the Phillies are third. I don't know who she has first and second, though, in the division. Yeah, I'm going to say the Mets. Here's my issue is the Mets are the best team, and I don't think that's debatable. But they haven't performed. They've underperformed all year. So could Atlanta sneak in there? Absolutely. But did you guys know that the Mets are on pace for some crazy historical records? They have 11 sacrifice flies all year. Like, what? How? Um, you know, you look at that lineup offensively and every single player pretty much has underperformed. Underperformed. They don't have an yeah. offensive war over two. How? How? 
It honestly, so like, do I think they're the best team? Yes. On paper, I think they're the best team. Atlanta's had just too many injuries um, to really top them. If if the Braves were healthy, I think they'd be running away with this division again. I think it wouldn't even be a question. It would be like they're fourth in a row in the NL East. Um, But when you look at it, I think despite all the Mets injuries, they're still the best team. They just need guys to step up. They can't have Jonathan VR and Kevin Pillar be everyday players. That is just not how this team functions. Michael Conforto, like it's August. It's time to wake up. Like Dom Smith, time to be better than you are. I, I think when you look at this lineup um, up and down and people have pointed to the pitching and yes, DeGrom being out is huge. But to me, all year people keep saying this lineup's going to hit. This lineup's going to hit. Well, guess what? The lineup didn't hit. The lineup hasn't hit. And I think it's fair to wonder this winter, what will Steve Cohen do? Because to me, this is on the front office. It's not on the manager. Um, they didn't go out and get JT Real Muto, which would have been excellent. They didn't get George Springer. They didn't really get that big bat. And do you guys remember when Steve Cohen was like, we're going to be a destination for free agents? And they didn't sign any free agents. They got Lindor via trade. So they haven't really done what we thought they were going to do. And I know I'm getting way off topic here with the Mets. Um I probably talk about the Mets too much because I go on SNY and I feel like, you know, if you're a Mets fan, you've been in that like, oh, woe is me for at least a month here. Uh, but I think if the Mets get past this little Mets, uh, not Mets, this little stretch here where they play Dodgers Giants, Dodgers Giants, if they get past that and yeah, and they're not totally obliterated, they have a chance because I don't. Because then they get people back yes. and hopefully. You know, Lindor's back, maybe. Right. Yeah, like I, I, yeah. I just feel like they're still the best team. As unfortunate and ridiculous as that sounds, because they haven't played well all year, I, I don't know how you can make the argument that Atlanta or Philly are a better team, especially if the Mets get back Lindor um, and they get back. Did Bias play yet today? I knew he wasn't starting, so I'm not certain if he's actually available or not. Um, if they get back to Grom, obviously that's a division race changer right there. Yeah, there's there's some dysfunction in New York that's still simmering under the surface. Uh, you know, I he- I've heard some uh, uh, some grumbling about the fact that Sandy Olson's kid was promoted. Uh, you know, there's there's some people in the organization not super happy about that. Then you have Zach Scott, the GM, going out there right now uh, saying that players are not following their sort of uh, injury protocol or whatever, um, and. Uh, I forget who I, I saw somebody on Twitter do this. I'm stealing the joke, but um, uh, maybe you can forgive the players for not following the Mets injury protocols because the Mets injury protocols have not necessarily worked out well in the past. I mean, there's a dude out here, Jed Lowry, who <laughs> is like, I followed the Mets protocols and it did not work. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was interesting to see Marcus Stroman, uh, like super dehydrated today, uh, but he got it through there um, and, and they did they did what they had to do. But like, you know, I look at Baez and I see like an oblique injury, but they keep talking about a hip and a back. Um, and, uh, I mean, he looked really uncomfortable on that swing. Um, I could see him ending up on the IL. That's, that's just, that's the LOL Mets in me. Uh, but do you know, there's so much talent there. The one thing I will say is when you build a team like this, where you build it with veterans, this is what happens and you need to have really good depth. So I do think VR and Pilar are good depth, but you don't really want Luis Guillorme, uh, starting at shortstop very long. 
Um, and that's been a bit of a problem for them. Yeah, that's definitely an issue. But Lindor tracking back toward a return, I think we could also see a much better version of Lindor once he comes back than what we saw prior to the injury. I mean, Lindor hitting 228, 326, 376 on August 12th. I never would have predicted that. And if someone said, well, that's going to happen, I would have said, oh, he's only played like 20 games then. He had 20 bad games and he got hurt. And he's played 88 games. So he's had some chances to turn it around. Hasn't done it yet. You know, Brandon Nimmo. There were some glimmers before he got there, hurt. There were, yeah, there were some signs. Brandon Nimmo on a per game or per plate appearance basis is a good offensive player. Probably an underrated one in a lot of circles. You know, Jeff McNeil probably won't ever be the guy we saw a couple of years ago over a full season again. He's a good player. Like you can kind of you can talk yourself into this lineup. And I think the thing that the Mets have compared to the other teams uh, battling it out in this division right now, I like the back end pitching for the Mets just as much as I like anybody else's, right? The Phillies really tapers off after I would say their first three when Eflin's healthy, maybe the first two without him, depending on how you feel about Kyle Gibson. I think Atlanta is is comparable. I think the key for Atlanta is the health of Ian Anderson and Waskari Noah. Because if both of those guys are healthy and effective, you're not relying on Drew Smiley for a lot of high-quality innings, right? You're kind of moving him down in the pecking order, and you're getting you're getting guys that are closer to what you had in that rotation last year, right? So for as much as gone wrong for both the Mets and the Braves, it's pretty amazing that they're still right here on equal footing with each other and that the Phillies haven't been able to do enough to open up a lead on them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like a, a prize fighter who's taken a few punches, you know, and you're wondering is he, you know, are there a few more punches and then he's down, or is this when he kind of like rallies uh, and and gets back? So, you know, Tyler Medjill has been good, but the last two starts have not. So, you know, if he's if he's gonna falter, you you really would love to be like, oh, right as he's faltering, swap for Degrom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a really nice swap to make. You, you yeah, know? you know, while we're talking about joy, though, what's great, as Eno mentioned, is this is I don't see any of these teams breaking away. Right, we're we're in for a race, maybe down the stretch, maybe down to the last day, and that's exciting. Mm-hmm. As long as you're not a fan of any of those teams, in which case you may be physically ill. Well, even if you yeah. are, yeah, uh, <laughs> you might be Ill. <laughs> like watching those kind of games as a fan is just the worst. Like the range of emotions is so stressful. Um, when you're neutral and you're a reporter and you don't really care who wins, it's it's much different, right? Than than sitting there yelling at the it's TV. Content. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it should be good. It should be really fun because there's not going to be that many races that you can count on. And I think we'd all be shocked on this podcast, right? If someone went on a run and all of a sudden was ten games up in the division. Yeah, I don't see that coming out of the NL East. I would say the AL East will also be a fun race, but I think the thing that makes the AL East maybe a little more compelling is that you can get multiple teams in, whereas the NL East, probably only the division winner gets in because of the way the NL West has played, and even if uh, things were to get closer, the Reds have a better record than those NL East teams. They would be ahead of all of those teams for a wild card berth. You look at the Rays, the Red Sox, the Jays, and the Yankees, there's a very good chance that at least one team that doesn't win the division gets in. A lot hinges on how well Oakland plays. My argument here, though, is that because the Angels have not delivered on expectations, they traded some players away at the deadline, Rendon's out for the year, they're not going to make a run at this point. They've, they've faded. The Mariners, I think we're just waiting for the fade to come. I think Oakland's path to at least get to the wild card and possibly keep putting pressure on the Astros 
makes things really interesting in the AL just because then you still only have one of those AL East teams likely to get in that doesn't win the division. So there's a lot of pressure on the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Jays, and the Rays. And I think it's going to make that race just as fun, if not more fun, than the NL East one, even though two of those teams will probably get in. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit weird where you have this like, well, we didn't we didn't get the division. We, we get in, you know, but the second wild card race in or not, uh, I think could be big because you see some teams there. I don't know if this describes Oakland, but the Yankees and Blue Jays, um, if they get in, I think they're pretty dangerous because then you've got they, they may not have the best fourth or fifth starters. But if you're talking about their first two starters and you're talking about like a five game series or, or shortening it, um, you know, Barrios and Ryu, like Cole and Tyon or Kluber, maybe, um, you know, I would take those guys over, I think, Manaya and Bassett. So, you know, you're talking about teams that would get better in shorter series. Um, so that whole like toggle between in or not is is kind of exciting. So I think second wild card. Uh, is right there with the AL second wild card is right there with uh, the NL East. Yeah, I agree. In the NL West, it's like they're just it's like a pecking order thing. They're all three are probably in, unless the Padres just really poop the bed. Yeah, um, and that wild card game is going to be out of control. Uh, just think about like a Dodgers Padres wild card game. How exciting! I'm that here will be. for that. I, I, w- I would love that. And. And yeah. Eno brought up a good point. Like the wild card teams are going to be dangerous in both, I think, both AL and NL. Because how many times have we seen a wild card team that just all of a sudden turns the tables? I mean, we've we've seen wild card winners in the World Series. We've seen it happen. It's not a rare occurrence by any means. You mm-hmm. get that momentum, and all of a sudden, like it's an old baseball adage. Like the best teams make it to the postseason. There's no Cinderellas. This isn't. You know, basketball, this is a 162-game season. Everybody there deserves to be there, right? They don't stumble in on a hot Mm -hmm. streak. But once you get there, it's a total crapshoot. It's who has a Mm. hot week or two. Right, that that's literally what ends up happening. Injuries too, like who's feeling good or not. Like that, like you. I think on the rundown it says like you know what, who's the best, who's the like scariest wild card team, and like you know, I think the easy answer is the the Yankees or the Dodgers, right? And but the thing is, what if Kershaw's still hurt? You know, what if Ballinger's little four homer burst here is actually just a little burst and he's actually still hurt too? You know, the, like, I think that's where a lot of the chaos comes in that Britt's talking about. Yeah. That sort of anything can happen in October is like, who's feeling good? Like, who's physically feeling good? Right. And, uh, you know, you know, some of those wild card teams, uh, I think that rest can help. And so the Dodgers are, I mean, the Giants are out here. Like Gabe Kapler is talking about a, a first place team out here. And he's fielding questions about sitting people and what he's going to do. And he says, from our research, like rest and uh, that and sort of systematic rest is a really great way to keep people healthy. I mean, that's great and all in practice. But it doesn't matter if Belt turns the wrong way on that knee again in September and he's out. Right. You know? It doesn't matter if, if Posey's finally wearing down after the year off, you know? So, like, uh, I think that that's a... I think injuries are, like, the hugest amount of chaos. That and maybe, like, pitching, but... Yeah, and, and that's going to change a lot about how we feel about these potential wildcard teams between now and the time that the playoffs actually begin. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover... Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I kind of look at the the Jays as a team that they're just better than we all have realized all along. It's really clear. And healthy George Springer is an underrated player, even though we know he's a very good player. I think getting him healthy and in that lineup takes a very good lineup and makes it an excellent lineup. Like top to bottom, one to nine, is there a group of hitters in the American League other than the Astros when they're firing at all cylinders that you'd be more fearful of? I, I don't know if there is. I, I think that's the sort of offense the Jays have built, but it's not just that. They've done so many other things well. You know, Ryu is the signing from last year. He's good atop the rotation. Robbie Ray not walking guys. Really good. Alec Manoa continues to pitch really well. And then, as Eno mentioned, they added Barrios. That's a great playoff rotation. It's really good. Bullpen is solid. Offense is really good. Like They have all the ingredients to be the kind of team that yeah, they just squeaked in. They're the last team in, but they could be, any team can do it, but they could be very dangerous in October with the way they're built. Yeah, I agree. And the thing is, is they kind of like languished early on. I think getting Springer back was as much of like a mental boost almost for that team. Like it kind of like was a shot in the arm, right? They're they're playing how I thought maybe some people thought they could be at the top end here. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like if it wasn't for Otani, he'd be running away with AL MVP. He doesn't get nearly as much press, and I understand why, because Shohei Otani is a, a generational talent. But you look at the Blue Jays, and what amazes me, guys, is they do get in. They're a dangerous team. They're, they're built for the long haul here. They're not built to have like a, a one-and-done kind of season. They're going to be a really scary team, health-permitting, for a long time. And the moves they made at this year's deadline show that they kind of know that. Like they finally, for the first time in forever, the big knock on Toronto was they overvalue their prospects. They're not willing to part with guys. They parted with some top guys to get Barrios. They know the time is now. This could be the beginning of a very long window for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, and I think they'll supplement with that sort of one-year veteran strategy with on the pitching side next year uh, to, to get the back end, another Robbie Ray type situation where they're they're looking for some values there to supplement it. But you know, my point about how things get shortened, uh, I think the Blue Jays look way more dangerous in a short series than they do necessarily over the course of the season. Because over the course of the season, some of those issues in the bullpen, back in the rotation, can kind of get a little bit iffy. Like maybe you don't like Steven Matz, maybe Rafael Dolis is too wild, whatever you think, you know, all that stuff. Uh, it matters over the course of a season. But dude, think about the Blue Jays in a short season. You're, you're only going to pitch four starters. Right, if that. But if you're only going to pitch pitch Maneo, Mane, Manoa, uh, Ryu, uh, Ray, and uh, who am I missing? Barrios. 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 
then you're pitching a really legitimate starter every night. And then think of like if Merriweather comes back. I know that seems like a crazy idea right now because he just seems like he's like he doesn't work anymore. But like, what if he's? This is why I'm talking about like health as a thing. What if Merriweather's healthy? Now you got Merriweather Romano uh, hand at the back end with Simber as the funk. I mean, that's like a legitimate. Like you could pitch only those guys. What did the Nationals teach us? Mm-hmm. Like you just need eight or nine pitchers. <laughs> Yeah. Like right, like like it doesn't matter if they're starters or relievers. You just need just need enough pitchers. And to me, that group you could pitch nobody else in the postseason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could pitch those nine pitchers, and that's it. And nobody else sees the mound <laughs> unless you're losing or uh, losing by a lot. I think that would be that. And then the Jays are like a six or seven runs a night kind of team sometimes. Yeah. So. Can you guys talk me into the A's? Because I, I do think they are, are more along the lines. Uh, <laughs> they're, just, they're more along the lines of a team that did it, its thing to be good enough to get to the playoffs. This is where they're tracking anyway. And we we all understand, like as you get to the postseason, you rely less on depth and you need top end talent to win, or you just need good timing, right? You need guys to come through in the right situations. You need your ho-hum relievers to be unhittable or you need a lot more balls in play to just find their way to the fielders. Like all those things can go your way. Like this is this is the old you just got to get there and you got a shot. Like that that's why teams play this way. Can you cherry pick nine pitchers in Oakland that you feel good about? I mean, I know compared to the Jays, you don't like Manaya and Bassett and Montas as much as the first three in Toronto. But those are that's a good three. And James, how right. do you feel about Caprillion? Do you think Caprillion is okay he'd, as a four? He'd be my, like, he, I think I would try not to start him. I think I would try to have him as, like, a middle relief. He's so been, you've got four there. Good. 14 starts this year. 322 ERA, 114 whip, 83 Ks, and 78 in the third innings. That's really good. All right. Well, let's let's throw him in our, eight, if, like, what's our magic number? Eight or nine. So let's just throw him in. We got let's four. Let's just say eight. For the, eight. eight it takes eight good pitchers to to win so the got, World Series. We got four starters. We got Deekman. Deekman. Uh, Trevino. Trevino. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think this is why Puck is meaningful. AJ Puck just came up and he's sitting ninety nine uh, from the left, and he 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 dropped to the Randy Johnson arm slot. So like, if you legitimately have like a Randy Johnson esque reliever, uh, that could be the thing that they need because I'm struggling. I guess Romo is four. Romo, right? Chafin, Petit, like they've got they've got some depth in the bullpen. Yeah, but those are like those. Uh. Uh, this is where like the Trevor Rosenthal injury hurt them a lot, yes. right? Like out for the season. Like you you were kind of counting on that guy because he had such a resurging year with Kansas City to be that guy. And here's the issue with the teams like the A's is they don't have. Those, they don't have the depth often, like more often than not, right? They don't have the depth of some of these other teams. Or also just the stars. That too. Like, and like for, for, like Scherzer, like they couldn't go get Scherzer, right. you know, they couldn't. Yes. And forever, like A's fans have complained because they get in the postseason and then they lose. And that's the issue. The issue is like when you get to the postseason, like it's your best against the other team's best. And you're right, you know, very often the A's front line, just doesn't compare. They win by being pesky and by beating people down and, you know, people looking up and saying like, oh, the A's have won seven in a row. By the way, did you guys know the A's had won seven in a row? I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm watching the games. They, I mean, they, 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 you know, Jed Lowry has been a, a huge for them. They, uh, they've had some timely hitting. If they do it, it's because, you know, you know, one thing that Olsen jokes about, Matt Olsen jokes about the fact that him and Matt Chapman are never hot at the same time. So true. if they, if, it, it just seems like that's kind of true. Like Olsen was in the tank, then Chapman, you know. So it, let's say that for once, out of, you know, some sort of brilliant, you know, luck, Olsen and Chapman are both hot at the same time. Now you got two force guys in the middle of the lineup. You got guys like Lowry and Marte. You've got like, okay, now you're four or five deep in the lineup. That's pretty good. Um, you're still, I would still, that eight, I would I would take the, the Blue Jays eight or nine over that uh, A's group. And everyone's talking crap on the Blue Jays pitchers. You know, so it's like, uh, I don't know that there is a playoff eight or nine that I would take, that I would take the A's eight or nine pitchers over okay i i can i can level with that but then my <laughs> natural follow-up question is is the gap that wide or is it really just I like mean, like what would the, how how big would the gap be to you know if the reds made it it wouldn't be that big of a gap right yeah i mean i would take yeah i think i would take the a's group over the reds group I think I might, yeah. But then the Reds are, might not make it either. Well, yes. Uh, take yeah. the A's. You would take the A's group over the NL East winner, whoever that is, potentially, depending on who is healthy enough. If it, if it's that Mets, probably not. I mean, if it's a healthy Mets he- squad, yes, not, yes. But, but if it's the Phillies, right. They stumble in. Yeah, I take it over the Phillies group. <laughs> I might take it over the Braves, which is an interesting thing to say because the, uh, you know I got killed for not putting the Braves in my top five rotations. Uh, going into this season, I was just saying, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of uh, a lot of regression here that could be coming from Freed and Anderson and uh, and Soroka and the group. And uh, I mean, it turned out to be pretty pretty prescient. But you know, as they are now, uh, I think I might take the A's group. Yeah. Here's the other team that's a, po- a probable wild card team. We haven't talked about them a lot in a while because when they're not doing slam diego things somehow we kind of just like ah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when they become more interesting but and are they lol metzing yeah what's happening with the padres right now i mean when you when you look at their best eight or nine bigger names obviously darvish is great joe musgrove is having a great year blake snell's not the blake snell that we're used to so that needs to be accounted for paddock's on the il right now ryan weathers has been getting hit lately Pomeranz is hurt. Plus, never liked him. Yeah, I mean, like, Pomeranz is, is Pomeranz on the IL? Pomeranz is currently on the IL again. Man, he has been on and off the IL. It feels like all season long. Forearm inflammation this time. So, mm. so Paddock's out. Pomeranz is out. They could both be back in a couple of weeks. They added Daniel Hudson. They got Pagan. Melanson's been better than we all expected so far. How many other relievers that's a do you soft like there? Around eight or yeah. nine. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's mean, what I'm saying. Like they're not quite the Padres team that we expected because when they went out and made moves to get all that pitching, we at least I expected a little more from Paddock than we've got so far, and I certainly expected a lot more from Blake Snell. And I don't know how much I trust. Morahan right going down was bad for them because you know you kind of thought Morahan, Gore, uh, Weathers, maybe not all three of these guys are going to be good, but one will be. Yeah. And right now you're kind of looking Morahan hurt. Weather's, you know, falling apart and Gore, like they're, uh, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not calling them up. <laughs> so I guess Gore's not working out. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Tatis has kind of been the heart and soul of that team, too. So I think every time he's out or he's hurt, it leaves that gaping hole. I'm putting him in outfield, I mean, as a way to stay healthy, it's innovative. Will it work? I don't know. It just seems like that shoulder. Is going to continue to nag him, kind of no matter where they put him. Maybe to be a little less irritated 
But wasn't it mostly what he was doing at the plate that was kind of bothering him, right? With the, like, you know, letting go with one arm. Oh, yeah, he started, yeah, he started changing his, uh, yeah, he changed his follow through. Yeah, yeah, so like, I mean, Manny Machado has had a really good year, kind of quietly, I feel like, which, uh, honestly, he doesn't really do much quietly, but I feel like the Tease and everything that's gone on has kind of overshadowed his year and his season. He was a late add to the All-Star game, but if you look at his numbers, he kind of deserved to be there. Um, so he's kind of been the, the ship that has kind of kept them afloat here a little bit. But every time I watch them, guys, like they lost to the Mar, like you can't be losing to the Marlins at this juncture, right? Uh, like they did the other day. Like you, you have to, in that NL West, beat the bad teams or you're not going to have any chance of, of getting to the top of that division. So you're right. They've been not as good. And, and some of the, I feel like initial early season excitement has kind of tapered off on them on a national level as well as a result. After the, after the trade deadline, AJ Preller said, I could have gotten an arm, but why, why would I do that? If you know, it's, we have four or five good starters here. Like if they don't pitch, we're not going in. Shocked. Are you guys shocked? Yeah. Like I thought they were going to, that's crazy talk. Yeah. I was just waiting after the Dodgers got Scherzer and Turner for Preller to go nuts that last day. And I was just really surprised that he didn't. Thought he would get Berrios or Sandy Alcantara or, or just have like some crazy trick up his sleeve. Yeah. Just weird. Eventually you run out, I guess. Their upcoming schedule, they'll play the D-backs by the time most people hear uh, this pod. Four-game series with Arizona, three on the road against the Rockies, a day off next Thursday, and then they've got the Phillies for three at home and the Dodgers for three at home before a couple against the Angels and a couple more against the D-backs. So not a terrible stretch of schedule, but the home two home series next week are important. They mostly have a good schedule. The one thing I will say is that I think that uh, it's possible their player development is not as amazing. And that's kind of crazy to say when you produce somebody like Tatis, but I think Tatis is a scouting win. Yeah. I think their scouting is among the best in the big leagues. AJ Preller is a magic scout. Yes. I mean, that's, I think he's proved that. Like the old, uh, like when I looked up uh, how many major leaguers came from each team, it was the Rangers that had the second most in the big leagues. Why? A large part of that was AJ Preller. You know, and I think that he's doing a really good job signing guys um, and 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 knowing uh, for a large part who to trade away. However, um, if you have a really good player development thing, you have some pop up guys. And I would say that like between Weathers, Gore um, and Morahan, you're like sort of waiting for that pop up guy, the 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 depth starter that you're like, oh, hey, you know, uh, like Josiah Gray. Like you think about the Dodgers, right? They were like, oh, our depth is being tested. Well, I guess it's time to start Josiah Gray, you know? And everyone's like, yes, finally! You know, all the, all the like, scout people are like, yeah, finally get to see Josiah Gray, you know? Uh, you're kind of, they don't, like, the Padres aren't really, uh, don't have that ace uh, in their back pocket, you know, sort of deal. That's a great, that's a good point. They might have more useful bullpen arms than some of the other playoff teams. More guys you'd be willing to throw in the sixth or seventh than a lot of other teams, where, like, they're... Their A bullpen might not be one through Tim three. Tim Hill is elite. underrated, though. Yeah, that's man. what I'm saying. Like, Tim Hill and Pierce Johnson, Craig Stammen's been fine. Like that that group, that's a lot of useful arms. And if your starters you are want struggling, them pitching tie game, eighth inning, that's, wild card that's game. Kind of what they were doing. I mean, think about how they were just limping to the finish line in the postseason last year, right? Bullpenning mm-hmm. the hell out of it. They might be doing something similar again this year, which is just so hard to believe after adding Darvish. And Musgrove and Snell. Like, and that Snell. is so hard to believe that this team may but have to use that same recipe. You know what it takes to, to add those guys is depth. Right. 
And now, we, now we're saying they don't have quite enough depth at the big league, near big league level to, to fill in. Plus, the injuries on top of those trades have put them in this really, uh, really difficult spot. So I hope for their sake they are healthy. I hope we see them in the postseason again because it was fun. Uh, if it takes you know them falling kind of close to Cincinnati to just give us one more playoff race in the NL to make that exciting, I could live with that. But I'd still rather see the Padres in than the Reds. I think they are a, a clearly, clearly better team. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Uh, speaking of joy, though, let's talk about the Field of Dreams game. How do you feel about this? Is this something you guys are looking forward to? It's, it hasn't been played yet, even though we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. We'll get to watch it tonight. Were you excited when you heard about it? Do you even like the movie? Like, I just, I just find this whole thing to be like kind of random and, and fun, and like the kind of thing that baseball should do, but. I don't really like the movie that much, so I wonder if that's tempering my enthusiasm for this game. I, I haven't seen it. I've seen it. To say here. I've seen it once. It is a little random, a little hokey. Um, I think it's fun. I agree with you. Like baseball's a long season. You want to play in a cornfield in August to break up the monotony? Like, go for it. You know, I I'm fine with that. You want to wear different jerseys? I'm fine with some of the stuff they do in season. That part, that part I'm fine with. I've, I I actually, I love the shots of the place. Yeah. You know, I love the, like, what it looks like. I love the idea of, like, corn being in the background. I, I even like their innovation where they have a little bit of a fence, but you can see the corn through it. Like, I, there's a lot of it that I like. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, it, I think but, it's fine. People that are, like, kind of complaining about it are just going to complain no matter what, I feel like. Who cares? It's one game. If you don't like it, don't watch. That's how I feel. I'm going to watch because I think it's also going to be. Is it just one game? It's not the whole series? Yeah, it's just one game, right? I thought it was only one game. Yeah, it's just Thursday. Yeah, yeah it's just one game. I don't like that it's such a rich man's thing. Have you heard? There's, the prices on StubHub are starting at 1400 Yeah, I, I agree with that. I wish they found really? a, a way to bring the local community of Iowa in maybe a little bit more or Little Leaguers. They tried to have some events around it. They had some Little League games or like some, some kind of travel ball type games on, on it before. Hmm. Um, and I'm sure they'll, they'll use it, you know, once the MLB is gone. Uh, but... Some parts of this don't hit me right. I don't. Uh, I'm. I'm not super excited. I guess I'll watch it. I don't know. And, and here's here's my real uh, hot take that exposes me as a weirdo curmudgeon. <laughs> I don't love sports movies. Hmm. Really? Okay. Here's elaborate. Here's what I love about sports. And I was thinking about this at the game the other night. I think we're all waiting 
at a, at a game to see something we've never seen before. I think we're waiting to be surprised. I think, it, okay, so even if we're not waiting to see something we've never seen before, we are waiting to be, to be surprised, right? We're waiting for like something that we can go home and tell our friends about. We're waiting for, you know, there's no way that you want to know the ending. That's fair. Like you, and usually, usually in a sports movie, this is the, this is probably why the the arc fails you so many times. You know what's going to happen. Usually, it's so obvious. Like, like nine out of ten times, you get the you, you get the like, positive outcome at the end. You, do you win think the, the big team game. It's gonna lose at the end of. The, you know, well, like, usually, here's my one caveat though: when it's a true story, and you you still know the team's gonna win, like miracles. One of my favorite sports movies. Yeah, like that's just cool. Like, it's cool no matter how many times you watch it because the U.S. had no business beating Russia. So, that mm-hmm. I mean, I love that movie because it was so cool. And same thing like Rudy, right? Another great movie because you're like, how the hell did this guy with no talent finally get to play in Notre Dame? So, <laughs> I like the true stories because even though I know how they end, I'm, like, inspired because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this isn't, like, some Hollywood you know, guru penning some ridiculous right. ending. This actually happened. Like people were chanting Rudy. The guy played, you know, the miracle. The U.S. did actually win that game. Um, so I agree with mm-hmm. you on most things. I think baseball movies in general are not well done. Um, really. There's at, so many bad. Really ones. at all. Oh like God. not well done. Trouble with the curve. I just watched like 10 minutes yeah. and was like, please the, stop. The best one is A League of Their Own, which, again, based off true events. So I just feel like, for right. me anyway, those are the most palpable ones. Here's funny, a funny thing, given your recent reporting. One of my favorites is Sugar. Depressing as all hell. There's very little baseball in it. There's there's a fair there's more about social issues and 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 actually kind of about minor league housing crisis and <laughs> and stuff like that. Like I mean, it's about this kid coming uh, from like the Dominican Republic and and trying to like you know make sense of America and make it as a baseball player. So uh, and he has his host family and it's I think it's actually super relevant to anybody who who cares about baseball on all sorts of levels. Um, but it's, it's not very uplifting, uh, and, uh, it's not like, a, a one where they show a lot of baseball, but I've also just recently seen like, um, Space Jam, both of them. Oh, you've seen the old one and the new one now? They're piss poor, dude. It's just awful, awful movie making. Just awful. I think even my kids were like, and my kids are starting to be a little bit critical. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> Uh, my kids recently saw a Pokemon movie. My older one was like, you know what? It was a little overdone. It's <laughs> amazing. Finding holes in the plot. <laughs> he was like, I liked, I liked, uh, I liked Detective Pikachu a lot better than that one. And I was like, yeah, yeah, so did I. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I find them overdone. Uh, I find the acting, you know, I find it cheesy. I found, uh, you know, the, the, you know, a lot of the movies that baseball movies I've seen, I find super cheesy. So I like the ones that are like comedies or dramas that have enough going on else, you know, outside of the baseball scenes. I just base like the, the sports scenes. A lot of times they don't even do it right. They look terrible doing it. You know what I mean? Like, like I thought there were parts of trouble with the curve. I was like, did you ever play baseball before you? started to play baseball on screen for this movie because it doesn't look like you know how to do it. <laughs> that, that is one of the things that's always weird about sports movies. And then you get random 
shots of professional games in movies sometimes those always look pretty weird because they're clearly like filmed differently in a lot of situations here's the thing though just kind of tying this all back to the field of dreams game and and that movie and, and all this the idea of growing the game by playing a game in dyersville freaking iowa in august that is a good idea, right? At its core, like if you think about it, like if you connect the dots and say, uh, "Let's go, well, let's go play a game in Iowa." Growing the game among rich old white people—that's that's that's the problem. That's that's what I'm saying. It's it's the execution that is woefully inadequate, terrible, not even close, right? But the concept, the idea. Let's play. Let's play games where there aren't normally games. Okay. Okay. Like okay. That, that's okay. what I'm saying. I see. Like this sort of top level concept. Yes. yes. Like this specific one is very seems very old and white. No, no. Like, yeah. I'm saying I'm uh, saying the idea of playing a major league game in a place where you black out like six to eight major league teams. I think I, it's at least six, oh, that, right? They have a sign on the way in where they're like, "Please stop blacking out the games, Manfred." You're like, "Whew." <laughs> that's not great yeah. optics i mean i love it i tweeted like if they want to grow the game just get rid of blackouts and it's gonna it got like fifteen thousand yeah. likes it's easily gonna be the best tweet i've ever tweeted yeah. because everyone feels the run same for way office on that i know yeah. everyone feels the same way like the best way to grow the game is to involve the people like me who have cut the cord and allow them to watch every team right I, or how about this yeah, how about this even? Uh, the A's had a night where uh, tickets were free. What? That works. Really? That gets some people in the door. That's amazing. Zero dollars. Zero dollars to go see That's an A's amazing. game. Sold out. Don't you think that grows the game? Yes. Yeah, because people who wouldn't ordinarily spend the money to go or don't have the means to go are going to go more, and watch it and they're going to like it. $1,400 ticket game. Right. <laughs> or yeah. the zero dollar yeah, ticket Yeah, no, you're game. right. It's a good point. And you're right, Derek. Like, they should... You want to take all these states that don't have baseball and play in them? Like, I'm all for it. It doesn't even have to be tied to a movie. Take these states in these areas where you really have no fans or it's tougher to retain those fans and have games. But like Eno said, make them free. Do giveaways. Like, hit the school-aged children. There should be sections of little leaguers in Iowa. That's who you want to hit. The people who, when they leave Dyersville, Iowa, by the grace of God, and go on with their life, they're baseball fans, right? You, you don't want the guys who are closer to death than they are to their like baseball ticket buying season. Um, so they're uh, maybe they're doing some of that. I don't know, and, may, and maybe in, in in like maybe they have to pay for it. Like they definitely spend a lot on this on this thing. So like maybe in year two or three they'll have uh, more sort of community outreach, and they are le- allowing the community. To like play catch on the, but that's the old field. I don't know. Like, I don't, no one's allowed on the MLB field right now because it's all you know hush hush before the the game starts. So I don't know, man. It's it's, uh, it's cool. It's all right. I just think we've we've seen plenty of examples from the game from the league. Yay, joy! This is supposed to be the episode of joy. <laughs> the joy and that's why we started there. But you know, it took a big old poop on it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for one star. Would not listen again. Thanks for killing the podcast <laughs> reviews. If you are still enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. We got to uh, push back on on the haters of the show who don't like the negativity <laughs> here. I thought the story that Britt wrote about Zach Britton's uh, Field of Dreams cleats was really cool. That the cleats themselves are really awesome. And then I got a little furious because I thought like, oh, so now we have to turn this into a charity. We have to, we have to use charity from this game to make sure that minor league players have enough money to pay bills for housing and food. Like the, the absurdity of that is, is just, it, it, will, it will never cease to make me angry. And 
I continually feel powerless to actually do anything about it, which I think is what makes it worse. Yeah, it's just the system is broken, right? And I think, you know, I wrote a few weeks ago, I talked to 30 minor league players, and I think it's important to realize that outside of the Houston Astros, which are providing furnished apartments for all their players at all the different levels, outside of them, like no other team is really doing anything but the bare minimum, which is essentially nothing, to help their minor mm-hmm. leaguers. And I guess that, you know, people's counter argument all the time is, well, they're, they're minor league baseball players. They're chasing the dream. You know, you know, they're making minimum wage and bigger difference. Yeah. Sport. And I have bigger different job. Like I have a couple points to that that maybe people don't realize. They're not making minimum wage. When you do it out hourly, many of them are making below minimum wage. If you're a minimum wage, if you're a minimum wage worker, no one's asking you to pick up and move to another city, not at, not in your control and then secure housing for five months. Good luck. And train on your own. Right. You don't have to like train right. to do a minimum wage job on your own. You're not spending your own time yeah, on it. Nobody is telling you that. It, it's insane. There are some very old things we've talked about with player development and the minor league system in general is one of them that just don't make sense at all. And you know the carve-outs that enable this to be possible, brought to you by Congress, uh, are obnoxious because this, what the Astros did, Britt, what they're doing, Paying for the housing for their minor leaguers, that is a thing that every single team could easily do, and it would not hurt them, and it wouldn't make tickets cost $180 each for every single person in every single stadium at the big league level throughout this country. It wouldn't turn it into that at all. It's doable, and I still, the thing I I cannot understand, how can you, as a team, trying to develop players, not realize that to maximize the value, again, this is even removing the fact that these are people and you want to take care of people because they're people how do you not realize that someone who is not worried about housing someone who sleeps comfortably and eats well is going to perform better on the job you're paying them to do how is it not even just that that spurs teams through the right thing i think that might be a big part of why the astros do it the astros are all about player development and performance weird huh the weirdest thing of all and you brought this up before and it was in the story they kind of keep that on the down low because it's a competitive advantage for them. Isn't that silly? I mean, like this is just, this is common sense stuff that every organization should want to do. And we've got a lot of Twitter accounts that that keep relaying stories like this too. I mean, the story you wrote was fantastic. It, it's all, it all comes to light because of, of people finally being more comfortable in, in talking about this thing that's, it's been happening forever. This is, this is not new. Like this has been minor league baseball for probably since the beginning of time, but at least forever. There is something a little bit new. Britt, in your reporting, have have you heard anything about um, like uh, host family programs being restarted or something? I mean, that, that's some part of this, right? That that stopped during COVID. Yes, that and that used to be kind of a stopgap for a lot of people that they would they would live with a local family. That's part of it. But what's unfortunate about the host families is sometimes host families charge players, which I didn't realize. Mm, uh, I talked to multiple guys who paid to stay in a host family's house. And it's it's Whoa. often not like, hey, here's my spare bedroom, Derek. Come stay here. This is your bedroom and bathroom. It's families who have like 10 guys and they're all sleeping like next to each other in basements. So it's very – there's great host families and there's not great host families, right? So – and here's the crazy thing. Of course. I don't know why I never thought of that. 
because I've met host family parents that seem like the nicest people in the world, and yeah. like you know they they had they gave their kids their kid went away to college, and they gave their kids like you know bedroom to the host, and the host and the kid and the players like I love this host family, but of course they're a bad host. Yeah, family. there's good and bad, and so but why as a as a billion dollar team are you entrusting these random people again with with lodging? Your players, and you mentioned San Diego, and I'm oh glad you God. did, you know, because they seem to be some of the worst offenders at the double and triple A level, which is crazy because they, uh, I had a guy who said, listen, multiple top 30 prospects are sleeping on floors, multiple. That's so, horrible. You're, th- that's, those are people you'd expect to come up and, and help your team soon. Yes, and they're in San Antonio and they're in El Paso, and these are expensive. The problem, too, that I mentioned in my reporting was... I mean, you guys know what the real estate market is, is like right now. I'm trying to buy a house. Derek, you just moved. Eno, you live in one of the most expensive places in the country. Now, what's happening, though, is these mid-market cities are getting expensive. Your Columbuses, your Louisville, your Indianapolis, your Nashville, San Antonio, because people have left the big, big cities, right? So the rental rates are through the roof in a lot of these places, and mm. they are these small cities that don't house a big league team, but they house a minor league team. So finding mm. rent in these places is absurd. And also the restructuring that was happening this winter when they got rid of 40 teams, they moved Class A in the Cal League to California. So you're talking about expensive? These guys are making like $500 a week and they are supposed to live in Southern California? Northern California? They're supposed to live in these ridiculous areas? Lake Elsinore, yes. dude. Lake Elsinore is in the middle of Orange County. Yes, and a player pointed out to me, MLB kind of said, oh, we're going to travel less. It's going to be better for everyone. Well, what they didn't point out was the players pay for their home housing. So traveling less. Warm. Yes, like um, cost more. Stockton, every time they go to Lake Elsinore or Rancho Cucamonga, those are home games. Those are commuter games. They get on the bus, they drive there, they come back. So players have to pay for more Home housing. Derek's face is hilarious if you're watching this. He's like totally flabbergasted. So it's it's this huge mess, and it's always been a mess, but it's even worse now because of the rental costs, worse the host families, and this reduced travel nonsense. So now we're doing cleat things, and uh, Dallas Braden around here, bless his heart, is doing like Chipotle uh, giveaways and like you know raising money to give the give it minor leaguers Chipotle cards, which is like. I mean, that place gives me the poops. I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, I, I would take it if it was free, but like. Well, did you see his tweet? He used to chug NyQuil because he was so hungry. Oh, that was the worst. That's a real thing. He thought he used to chug NyQuil to go to sleep because sleeping was ch- free. Yeah. Yeah. That's bleak. It's so bleak. Also, Stockton and Rancho, those are not, cl- like, I'm, I was making a face because I was thinking about. California's geography. I don't have a map of California on my wall yet. I'm going to get one so I learn where places not are. That close. Those are not, not close. close. <laughs> Those are not close at all. Rancho is like on the drive from LA to Vegas. It's kind of part of the desert, I think, right? Like high desert and Rancho are just kind of out there, way out there. Stockton's up east of Oakland. Like those, those are not close at all. It's horrid. That's like a four hour drive home. Yeah. These are commuter what, what Five are hours at least. Yeah. What on if it's earth? like the Elsinore, it might be seven hours home. Ugh. What wow. after the game? What? Yeah, just uh, just to sleep save on the bus? money because then the team would have to put them up on the road, but at home the players are responsible. So the players mostly pay per night in hotels, and they pack up all their stuff and live out of their cars when the team's on the road. 
So then they come home and there's been car break-ins everywhere in some of these cities because, of course, you know, you're, you, you walk by a parking lot and everyone's lives are stuffed into their cars and, and they're gone for weeks. Um, it's just a really mm. sad, again, you could furnish these apartments, you could help these players for half the year and you can, you can Airbnb it or use it for other purposes the rest of the season. I, they just don't want to. And I know, actually, um, some people are trying to do something about this. Um, you know, uh, David Casillas is, is, is trying to do something about this where um, you could do kind of like a dormitory uh, type uh, housing for people, right? Like, they're not expecting you to give them a, like a furnished apartment, you know, necessarily. Like, and you could do this uh, like reasonably cheaply, even in some of these bigger cities, if you went to like some of the the kind of um, business park areas, right? Let's say you just went to the business park area and you took one of those, you took one of those big business park buildings and you, and you, and you split it up into little 10 by 10s with, you know, uh, with a bathroom for every four or something like that doesn't sound amazing to people listening, but that would be better than what's happening. <laughs> Yes. You know? Yeah. And that wouldn't cost millions and millions of dollars for a team. It would be like maybe a couple hundred thousand to like renovate uh, the way where I'm thinking. Like I remember my friends in New York um, converted a factory uh, in, in Bushwick into uh, into lofts. Right. And they didn't have millions of dollars. They just like put up some stucco and, and put in a toilet. I mean, none of it was really to code. And uh, there's, if you want to look it up, there's uh, some really, uh, really cool thing, a really cool piece about the McKibben lofts in, in Bushwick. Uh, my friends were involved in that. And I spent a lot of time there. It was super wild. Uh, but any, anyway, uh, they didn't do it with lots of money. They did it with a little bit of stucco uh, and some toilets. So. Uh, I, I think it's possible that a major league team could do better than the McKibben lofts in, in Bushwick. <laughs> so uh, on that note, I think we should get to one more uh, happy thing. Uh, I was going to ask you guys, as people who've been listening to this pod throughout the season know, uh, Tops has been a presenting sponsor of our show going back to the spring. And they've had that Project 70 that we've been talking about where they release three new cards every day. just thought it would be a, a good time like, to stop and say, hey, like... Have you seen some of these designs over the course this year? What have you liked the most to this point? I actually bought one a while back. I bought a, a Josh Gibson card because A, Josh Gibson is amazing, and B, they really aren't, don't make a lot of Josh Gibson baseball cards. It just seemed like a very cool thing to have in a small collection. But I'm seeing a ton of Tatis, of course. I feel like I, I mentioned Tatis's name in like all of those reads, and a lot of them are really cool designs, a lot of stuff from the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And I think my my favorite era so far has been like the late 70s and the very early 80s designs. I think some of those, like the Chris Bryant Giants one that's up right now, is probably my favorite current cool. design. There's a Vlad Jr. one that's pretty similar, I think, from the same year too. Uh, so what have you guys seen in Project 70, it's really caught your eye so far. Some of them are a little nuts. Uh, the one that I really like is uh, the Doc Ellis by Matt Taylor. Uh, I just really love the design. I love the idea behind it, you know, that he was on acid for that game. So, like, they really, uh, there's, like, a story behind the card. And I think they kind of nailed uh, that kind of uh, trippy art. Mm -hmm. uh, but then uh, also, like, there's so much going on in some of these. I like some of the uh, kind of simpler ones. So the other one I really liked was Lauren Taylor's um, Ronald Acuna. 
And um, just to describe it real quick, it's just Acuna uh, in profile celebrating, and he's in black and white, but his uh, I love his yellow arm bars, arm guards, you know? Uh, so like his, he's got his yellow flare on and he's black, he's in black and white. And then if you look a little closer, you can see him doing a back, back, a bat flip kind of in his Jersey. Like it's like a a little detail. Um, I like that better than some of the, the other ones that have just like a ton of crap going on where I just, I can't really focus on any one thing. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, the Lauren, those two are my favorite. Yeah. There is a lot going on. The Ozzy Smith ones are cool. I think just because Ozzy Smith to me is cool. Um, I like the one from 1982, Ozzy Smith by the shoe surgeon. Um, it's got Ozzy Smith, obviously front and center, but it's got the wizard of Oz and a little bit of that theme going on the yellow brick road. Um, some of the stuff from the, the old movie poster combined with him, I think is a really cool look. Did you guys see as well that Jesse Sanchez got a tops card? Um, MLB.com reporter. He got his own. He, Jesse Sanchez, if you don't know him, super nice guy. I've known him for 15 years now. He, he crushes the international, um, signings, the international league, all that stuff going on. Um, he actually got a tops card. I'm going to try and see if I can secure one and get Jesse to sign it for me because I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of on my bucket list someday is to have a, a, oh have a baseball card. That's mine. Like who is it? Who is that other, uh, that other outfit that does, that does cards of, of, of people around baseball. Oh, yeah, Alan and Ginter does, uh, Alan and Ginter. does people around the game. Well, there was a, I think baseball Brit had one made of him and maybe pitching ninja had a baseball card wow. recently. Yeah. I want one of those. Too. One. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Someone's listening. We want a rates and barrels card. <laughs> I got a tidbit on the back of a baseball card because uh, I think Michael Salfino uh, writes some of the blurbs on the back of Topps cards. Uh, I think he mentioned uh, my stuff metric uh, with regards to like Zach Gallon on the back of a Zach Gallon card. I was already pretty juiced by that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. So, you know, these, uh, yeah, I do want a card. I'm, you know, anybody who's collected cards would uh, ever would love to, to have one of themselves. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna add that to my bucket list as well, Britt. It'd be very cool. A rates and barrels card, a DVR card, anything really. I, I'd be, <laughs> yeah. be honored to have something like that made. But yeah, check out Project Seventy if you haven't, because the designs are, are very different, very unique. It's cool to see players that you're watching now in the designs from the era maybe you grew up collecting. Like a lot of the late '80s and early '90s stuff is what I had. I just saw the Tatis from uh, from the '80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. A bunch of those are, are really cool. Is that a, let's see, the Jacob Rochester one. I mean, this is the, they've, made, they've made a lot of cool Tatis cards. If you're a Tatis fan right this year, and you've been buying all the Tatis cards on Project 70, you've uh, you've built quite the collection over the uh, course of this year. But uh, we appreciate Whoa, them. look at that Willie Mays by Pose. Wow. Yeah. He's, got a, he's got a half-naked Willie Mays where he's holding the bat right in his crotch. Hello. Yeah, so the the jazz chisel is a little too much because I feel like jazz chisel already is a great his big personality. Um, yeah. Some of them do some of them do have a lot going on, but there are some really cool ones. Yeah, and you could tell. I mean, the the backgrounds of the different artists are all over the place, so you get a set that's just very unique. Lots of designs that you never could have even imagined on your own. And we had Alex Pardee on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast earlier this season. A lot of the monster designs, like there's one of Tatis where he's turned he's, into a monster and yeah. Brian Hayes is a spider. Like that's that's his style of art. So those are those are really cool if you're into to comic book art or anything like that. 
Yeah, I just noticed that one. It's like some sort of tree monster or something. Rasta tree monster. Oh, no, he looks like uh, the Predator. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. Tatis as the Predator. Yes, that's awesome, actually. <laughs> that's my new favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so you can check out the archives. They're not all available because they're only available for 70 hours. The current ones are available at tops.com. You can check those out anytime. They're only available for 70 hours before they go away for good. Uh, before we go away for the weekend, I'm going to let you know you can subscribe to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can read the stories that Britt wrote that we were talking about can read all the playoff-related coverage as the stretch run continues. If you're into fantasy football, we're going to have that covered as well on Twitter. She's at Britt underscore Giroli. He is at Eno Saris. I assure you, all of us love baseball. If you love this podcast, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. Don't let the haters win. Hit the like button if you're watching us on YouTube, and be sure to subscribe to the channel. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. 